Welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and step into The Handmaiden with me on today's review episode. But first, one or two things. Um, my episode release schedule has gotten a little wonky uh, here in December, and uh, part of that has to do with life things, work things, uh, more, some of the, some of the other aspects are just finding the time to record, uh, you know, I, I live with other people who are frequently here, and so it becomes somewhat of, uh, a luck of the draw, as you were, as you might say, just finding the opportunity where this is a thing I can do. Um, so, if you've listened to the majority of my episodes, you may notice that some are a lot more understated than others in terms of my uh, animation, excitedness, that whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, like tonight, like or like today's episode, it, there's not a lot of, you know, it's, it's very much, much quiet, much more subdued. And that's because, you know, other people that live here are here. And... I'm trying to be as respectful of them as I can. As well, what else? There, I thought I had a second thing, but maybe I don't. Hmm. Oh, I do. I do have a second thing. That's right. The previously, uh, many of these, uh, all of these statistics episodes that you listened to, were uh, had w- went through a process of noise reduction because. These, uh, the unit of my desktop computer it was very, very, is very, very noisy. And so I would have to filter out that sound in post. However, I've recently taken the time and fixed the problem. And when I say fix the problem, what I really mean is I removed the fan that was causing all of the noise. And hopefully that will be better for it. You know, it's running right now. There's no noise reduction happening on this episode. And so if you can hear it, it should be very, very quiet. And hopefully you can't hear it at all. And yeah, those are my two pieces of news, my updates, my check-ins, what have you. And uh, all right, so let's jump into The Handmaiden. This is a new film from 2016 from acclaimed director Park Chan-wook who is probably most known for Old Boy Uh, he came out with Stoker a few years ago which was an American feature Uh, I believe his first and only uh, English language feature that he's made and he's also and probably after that, he's probably most known for the uh, Sympathy for Vengeance films. Uh, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which also are kind of part of Old Boy as a trilogy, but more of like a loosely connected one than anything else. Uh, he's South Korean, 
and uh, yeah, he's he's a very very talented director. You know, I love Old Boy. It was one of the first movies I started watching after I jumped into really getting into film, and I I adore it. You know, it's got an 89 on the spreadsheet. Uh, I think it's been a while since I've seen it. And, uh, you know, I think that, again, I think it's a really great movie, but I do think it has some, some hiccups here and there. I'd probably have to go back and rewatch it to see if I could pick those out again, but, uh, it's rated how it's rated. And before The Handmaiden, Old Boy was the best film from Park Chan-wook that I had seen. Uh, I thought Stoker was fine, but a little over-stylized and kind of lacked any sort of heft that I'd seen in a lot of his other films. I say a lot, but I haven't seen, like, more than a handful. And then uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is good. You know, it doesn't ever reach the heights that I think Old Boy reaches, but it definitely captures the kind of revenge tale that Chen Wook is so good at, uh, at putting to film. And that brings us to The Handmaiden. I went and saw this Thursday, last Thursday. It was like the temperature was in the single digits. I biked to the theater. Uh, is the theater that is not compatible with Movie Pass, so I paid actual money for it. I froze. I, I, I was wearing like seven, three or four different layers all over, and it was so cold. I had to go through this park. It was like eight at night, so I, and I went through this park, and there's snow on the ground, and it's icy, and... I was probably, you know, I have lights on my bike, and they're not really supposed to be, like, headlights that cars have to see better. They're supposed to be for other vehicles to recognize that you're there. And I was going so slow that they functioned as legitimate headlights. Like, I had more than enough time to see what was coming before I got to it with the light pointed like directly down at the ground. So it was just an ordeal getting to this movie. I had actually even planned to see it earlier in the week and one thing happened led to another, but I did get to see it. I watched it on Thursday and it is remarkable. It is truly, truly remarkable. And it's remarkable for a few different reasons, but, and, you know, this is going to be spoiler-free until you hear the transition. It's, it's, the movie's broken up into parts, and the first part is very, it's presented in a very straightforward way. You know, it's basically these, uh, you know, a con, con man story, and, you know, there's a little bit of an intrigue when you have a female-female relationship uh, blossoming during it. But ultimately, 
if the film was just the first part, it would be good, but but fine. You know, it, it's passable, but it didn't it wouldn't really have any of the trademarks of Chan Wook's other things, and it would probably be largely forgettable going forward. But there are more than there's more than one part, and each subsequent part adds a huge amount of scope, uh, of of backstory, of motivations to all of the characters involved, and enables the story to really evolve beyond what it's originally presented as. And it does so in ways that you don't expect. You know, and I say that, and, and I had, I kind of, once the second part, I don't know, about halfway through the part two, I th- think I had a pretty solid grasp on the direction the film was heading. But, you know, rewinding back to, you know, the end of part one and the beginning of part two, I was still very much in the dark. I, I thought I knew where it was going, and it wasn't headed in that direction whatsoever. So, even though it does, you know, it's still a movie that shows its hand before the end, it's, it's become so difficult for movies nowadays to really keep you guessing the entire duration, because if they do, then you're definitely going to get a lot of people who fi- walk away from the movie confused, and who don't by the ending so much and on the other hand it's even difficult to do that because considering the catalog of films that exist today there's very little that hasn't been done and redone and re-redone and you know not just in film but in television in plays in music videos in web series everywhere and I'm not I'm definitely not going to come out and say that The Handmaiden breaks completely new ground because I don't think that it does but what it 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 did give me a sense of you know like all these movies nowadays with their big twists you know they're notable but they're not remarkable and the handmaiden's twist i found to be truly remarkable i loved the film i thought it was beautifully acted uh kim tae and kim min hee uh, who played the two female lead characters are just amazing uh you know you've got uh, you know park chan wook he he directs this brilliantly and, you know, as each layer is added to the film, you get to see, you still see, you're still watching the same exact scenes, but because he's directing, because he's giving you these perfect angles, you are really seeing things in a new light each time. Every, anytime you revisit something, you've got completely new to motivations, and because of the change in, of camera, change in direction, change in lighting, change in scene, you really see how not only does the new information that you have impact the scene you're watching, but it also impacts the way that the scene is is 
revealed to you. And, like, he is truly one of the best directors working. I've, I sincerely believe that. And I just think that, man, it's, it's a tough, tough order to, to fulfill, to, to really astonish an audience. I think, nowadays. And I think The Handmaiden is heads and shoulders above a majority of the films that that are coming out now. Uh, You know, I I mentioned this in my Letterboxd review, but I kind of wanted to expand a little bit more upon it uh, here. And that's, you know, whenever I'm reading or watching TV or a movie or, you know, listening to music or watching a music video or, you know, a musical performance or, or any sort of piece of art, really. Whenever I'm, exper- whenever I'm experiencing art in any form, in any medium, I always, you know, I always want to feel overwhelmed by the quality of the art and what I mean by that is I, I get really kind of choked up and emotional whenever I'm experiencing a piece of media or art that's tr- that I feel is truly great uh, I'm trying to think like something that's not super obscure but you know, to throw out a couple of examples, you know, if you've ever watched The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the scene where Will Smith is talking to James Avery about, you know, his dad leaving him and how it makes him feel and, you know, he's, like, upset. and Like, that scene is beautiful. It's brilliant. It is so incredible to watch. You know, and, and whether or not you find it sappy, whether or not it makes you cry, whether or not you connect to it, whether or not you empathize with it, you know, I think that that is a scene that is is just, you know, so worth whatever amount of time you've invested in that show, in those characters. It really creates a sense of feeling like this is this is a thing that is happening right in front of you and you can't it doesn't it doesn't need you to keep happening it doesn't need you watching it to be so convincing to be so evocative uh to you know there's a a song that i i quite like uh brandy carlisle's song the story I think does the same thing you know you've got the first verse is very it, it, she's very low she she doesn't hit a lot of big notes and then uh, I want to say it's during the first chorus it might be during I think yeah I think it's during the chorus where she just turns it up and man it gets me every single time uh, you know it, does, it has that same exact effect you know, like there's passion behind this. There's 
true raw emotion in this music. Um, or I'm trying to think of a movie from this year that really hit me like that. Uh, you know, probably you know Zootopia definitely did it to me earlier this year. Um, you know, try, particularly the scenes where oh, what uh, uh, Judy Hopps, I want to say, and the Jason Bateman Fox are when when like toward the like in the third act when they're like at at odds with each other. Like those scenes are incredibly gut wrenching. Uh, the the flashback scene for Bateman's Fox is really rough to watch and you know you see these scenes and I think they're you just feel them when you see them that these are things that are just magical and they move you and I felt that way for a majority mm, okay hold on a second that might be a little too far but for a good portion of the watching the handmaiden uh, not not a lot during the first part to be fair but once the twist the climax of the first part the once the film switches gears it really hits me and i hope it hits any of you one of you because i really feel as though it's a film to be cherished it's a you know and it might if you've already seen it it, it might seem odd to use the word like cherished uh, to describe this film because you know it's a hard R it is a very hard R-rated film and there's definitely uh, I, I I think the word cherished feels like a dainty sort of safe type of word and I don't it's not that I don't mean it in that way I just think that you know it's it's not really respect you know you can respect a lot of films for things they do you can appreciate a lot of films for what they do but i think to really cherish something you know you you elevate it higher than that you really put it on a pedestal in a sense and this is a kind of film where i really think it deserves that treatment you know it you know if if you feel like it's slow in the beginning just just give it a chance give it a time uh, and you will be pleasantly surprised and pleasantly rewarded for your patience and your devotion and so that is the handmaiden i i gave it a 97 which after tiebreakers puts it at number one overall for my 2016 ranking uh she's i i struggled rating that film you know part of me wanted to put it even higher but you know it's foreign language you know it's in korean and chinese and i was looking at the other foreign language films that i'd rated incredibly highly uh, so you've got harakiri at number one with a rating of a hundred which I think is just, I, I think it's more, I think it's better than The Handmaiden. So then we look at the 99, 
the the one film there is a separation from 2011 and that was a little bit more evocative it was a little more emotional it definitely hit me harder than the handmaiden does so i i keep it you know let's go down to the next thing uh at 98 the only feature length foreign language film is pan's labyrinth and this is kind of where i struggled because i love 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 pan's labyrinth it is uh just uh an achievement in film because it is so different from so many things and yet it all kind of it's a very cohesive and strong narrative that succeeds in ways that you wouldn't really expect it to and i think that man i think I think that the point difference between Pan's Labyrinth and The Handmaiden doesn't refer to any of the quality of the two films. I think that they're of equal, highly elevated quality. Um, so I think that the distinction is that if I'm going to rewatch one of these movies, and obviously there's some sort of there's some bias because I literally just watched The Handmaiden, so it's much fresher in my mind. But I think, looking ahead down the line, that I'm going to be slightly, ever so slightly, more interested in rewatching Pan's Labyrinth because I think, as as dramatic and entertaining as The Handmaiden is, I find Pan's Labyrinth to be more of a exciting, enjoyable film. Um, ever so slightly again ever so slightly and like we're 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 splitting hairs here really you know these are both phenomenal films that are each in my top 100 but just to give a little bit more of a clarification there uh so the handmaiden 97 currently number one uh from 2016 and currently slots at 54 on my top 100 overall and it bumped out in the mood for love which i watched last month uh so it was not there very long i feel i'm kind of upset because i don't think the handmaiden's going to win any oscars or even get nominated for any it wasn't submitted for foreign language film which feels like a problem to me uh, not that you know like South Korea can do whatever they want I just can't imagine that they watched and I'd have to look at the film that they did submit but I can't imagine that they looked at that film and thought it could possibly be better than this and it might have been an instance where the dates didn't line up or what have you but I think it's criminal that this might not be part of the Oscar conversation in any respect. So that is my spoiler-free part of Hand- The Handmaiden. And I haven't given any thought to what I'm going to talk about in spoilers, but we'll figure it out then. So if you don't want to learn anything else about the movie before you see it, or 
you don't plan on seeing it and want to know like why I'm so excited about it, uh, here, here come the spoilers. Any path, so many worth exploring. Just one would be so boring. And look what you're ignoring. All right. So the 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 ending to part one. So they're they're trying to get they're trying to convince everyone that oh shoot, what's her name? Uh the the handmaiden character is Suki and I'm gonna have to look it up. Because I'm gonna be using these names quite often, so better to figure it out early on. Hideko, Lady Hideko. If uh, right, um, so they're trying to convince everyone that she's insane, so that Count Fujibara, who's the con man, can take her fortune. So they send in Suki to be Lady Hideko's handmaiden. She does so. She and Lady Hideko sorta seem to be falling in love with each other. Then they do some sex stuff. And then when Lady Hideko presses Suki to know, like, because, like, she's trying to convince her to, to marry Count Fujiwara, you get the sense, like, well, obviously they're actually in love with each other. She doesn't love the guy. So, you know, she asks the handmaiden, like, hey, you know, do you really think I should marry him? And she's like, well, yeah, of course. And that's, like, uh, that's, like, devastating because... You're like, oh, man, she really shouldn't... Oh, if she'd just come clean, you know? You're thinking, like, oh, she just needed to tell her how she really felt, and it would have worked out. That's the sense you get. And so she, like, gets upset and kicks the girl out of her room and decides to marry the guy. And so it all seemed to work out. It seems like they they planned it out. It worked. Success. And fast forward like 10, 15 minutes, and they arrive at this mental hospital, and the mental hospital guys grab the handmaiden. They take Suki instead of Lady Hideko, and she's stunned. She feels completely betrayed. She is wrecked, ruined. You know, how can she possibly convince anyone that it's not right? You know, there's all these setup things that. You know, they led her to leave that she was actually Lady Hideko, and Lady Hideko poses as the handmaiden, and oh, it just, it feels awful. You know, you've become invested in Hideko and Suki's relationship, and all of a sudden, she's turned against Suki. Hideko has turned against Suki, and you are heartbroken because you want them to be together, and yeah, there's still quite a bit of movie left, but you don't see how it can be re like rectified. And so the next logical option would be revenge. And so my thoughts went, well, this is a Park Chan-wook film. Presumably, Suki escapes from the mental hospital and tracks down Hideko and Fujiwara and kills them. That's where I went. That was my first reaction. And then it says part two and we rewind 
all the way back to when Lady Hideko was a child. And she's being trained to read for her uncle and his friends. She's reading, like, smut, essentially. And, uh, you know, you get this whole backstory. And finally, you see Fujiwara enter the picture. And he starts to woo Lady Hideko. And they sort of... He, he immediately tells her that he was going to try to, you know... He, he immediately reveals his plan to her. And the handmaiden isn't even there yet. Which is odd. And so he tells her... And so the two of them arrange to set up the handmaiden, Suki. And now you're thinking, oh shit, that was the real reason. And you get to see all these new, all these things that seemed so straightforward, so innocent, so whatever, so blasé, are spun on their head. You know, Hideko was teaching Suki how to write. She started how to write her own name, but because she was illiterate, she didn't realize she was actually writing Lady Hideko's name, which is why they think that that's who she is at the end. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Fujiwara and Hideko constantly, constantly pulling the wool over Suki's eyes because, you know, she is quite innocent. She's very sort of oblivious to a lot of different things. But then once the relationship between Suki and Hideko kind of starts from this perspective, you do feel like it's a legitimate, there's legitimate emotion there. And you begin to wonder, well, why, if, if there really is that emotion there, how can she really uh, do that? Like, how can she really turn Suki in at the end? You know, what, what's really going to come of this? And as this part progresses, you find out that she doesn't, sort of. She tells Suki that they plan to turn her in which we never see in the first part, and then the two of them conspire against Fujiwara so that they can pull the wool over his eyes. So now we've got the cross with Fujiwara and Hideko, or Fujiwara and Tsuki trying to con Hideko. We've got the double cross with Fujiwara and Hideko actually trying to cr- trying to backstab Suki, and then you've got the triple cross with Hideko and Suki trying to backstab Fujiwara. Fantastic. I love it. Uh, I'm in. I'm like so in at this point, by the way. And the best scene for me, like the actual best scene for me is the scene in the library with Hideko and Suki, as they're leaving the palace, they're trying to escape to meet up with Fujiwara to go elope. And, you know, Suki can't, you know, Suki doesn't read. And so she looks, but she sees there's a lot of pictures in the books that Hideko had been reading, all that smut that she'd been reading for these men to get off to. Very odd. Uh, by the way, but she sees them, and with Hideko watching her, she starts ripping them apart, 
she's throwing them, she's tearing them, she's scream she's like incredibly upset by all of this. And she ultimately ends up throwing like hundreds of them into this sort of small pool underneath the floorboards. And this whole time you're you know, you're just watching Hideko watch Suki. And it's mesmerizing because you know, considering how much we've gone through to get to this point with these characters, Hideko, Hideko's a lot allegiance was kind of shaky. You know, you want to believe that it's with Suki, but you can't really be sure with a movie like this. And watching her face as Suki's destroying this library, like completely ravishing it, ravaging, ravishing, probably doesn't matter, is just. Oh man, Minhee Kim, who plays Lady Hideko, is brilliant. She comes across, you know, you watch her through this whole scene, and it is just this constant emanation of affection and love coming from her as she watches this girl who is completely in love with her do the thing that she's wanted to do for so long because she hates reading these stories and it is completely insulting to Suki that she's being even that Hideko has even made to read one of these stories let alone however many she's actually read and it infuriates her so much that she's destroying these things that have caused so much pain and torment to Hideko and she is so pleased I think she looks so happy for these circumstances and this whole time I'm sitting there I'm like, please help her destroy the books, please. I just need to see you do it. I need to see you help her. You know, because it's mostly just Suki running around destroying things and Hideko following behind her and watching. But then finally, when they're both when she's pushing the books into the small pool, Hideko joins in and they add like dye to the water. And they both get in there and they're both like stomping around in it and everything's like getting dyed the wrong color and oh it just it it melted my heart it's so crazy like that's the most romantic scene and it's just the two of them destroying all these books and it melted my heart so perfectly wow um wow so so then they meet up with fujibara and again we've already seen all this and they go to the um, mental hospital where again Suki is taken instead of Hideko who is now shown to be very upset by this and then she leaves and then Suki is rescued and escapes with her thief friends con friends and Hideko uh, like uses this knockout agent that you know it's it's uh set up in the in the movie and she knocks fujiwara out takes all of his stuff takes the money takes whatever and she runs off with suki and then fujiwara you know ends up tortured and whatnot you know there's more to go but that's kind of the crux of it and not that what the other things that happen aren't 
also equally important and relevant to the story and well directed and well done and I, I really do like them but I think this is the core of it it is the relationship between Hideko and Suki and it's one of the most beautiful relationships on screen this year you know they are clearly in love with each other they show it to each other multiple times you can just see the way that they treat each other the way that they react to each other's presence that they are completely bought into the feelings that they have for each other and that's so wonderful i i really really love that that just makes it so much better their acting is perfect uh and you know the story is great uh i believe you know it's based on a novel by sarah waters although i believe that the novel is much less triple crossy i mean i haven't read it but i i based on the way the novel looks I feel as though it doesn't have so much triple crossiness going on, sort of. Um, I think Fingersmith was actually made into a movie miniseries, TV miniseries. And like looking at the summary for it, I feel like it's more of the. I think it kind of skips the. I don't know, maybe it doesn't, but it seems like, based on this plot synopsis, and obviously they shouldn't reveal everything, but it seems like on the plot synopsis that it's only a double cross, and it ignores the Lady Hideko, Count Fujiwara, double cross against the Handmaiden character, and like it also doesn't take place in Korea or China, it takes place in, it's a, like a... British period piece uh, as opposed to anything else but um, no but uh, Park Chan Wook and um, probably going to get this wrong Zhang Seo Kyung uh, are, are both wrote the screenplay for this and <laughs> just so good it's just so good I, I really love it. It's one of my favorite films of the year. It is currently my best film of the year. There's not a lot of time left or films to see that could possibly take over its spot, but I won't, I, you know, can't confirm it yet. Uh, speaking of, you know, I'm definitely not going to be able to do sort of an end of the year review, year in review. Uh, at the end of December, that will probably happen sometime in late January, early February, once I've finally caught up on foreign films and documentaries that are, you know, shortlisted for the Oscars and start appearing on best of lists from otherwhere, uh, just as a heads up, but, uh, yeah, that's The Handmaiden. I... Presumably, if you're still listening, you've already seen it, but if you haven't and you don't care that it's already been spoiled for you, please, I would love it if you went and, went, went and saw it. It really is 
that good in my mind, in my opinion. There's so much going on and uh, I just, it's so good. I just think it's so good. I just, I just think it's so good. So yeah, that's, uh, that's where we're at. That's the handmaiden. Thank you for listening. I appreciate that you take the time to listen to me talk about movies. And if you have any interest in learning more about me, learning more about the podcast, you can go to the website, circleoffilm.com. You can also like, follow, subscribe, or whatever to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, probably whatever service you're using to listen to this now. And as always... Have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same tonight. Come on, baby, why don't we paint the town? And all that jazz. So long, farewell, I'll be the same as you.